Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. It has been so satisfying to work on. It's a real pleasure to be able to get these out and hear how much this impacts people, uh, to hear people who've always wanted to experience these in their own way actually get that moment has been fantastic. I want more people to know how easy it is to make accessibility a priority. And what we'll be focusing on today are pictures from the Webb Telescope. In this case, it turns the expression, a picture is worth a thousand words, on its head. If you can't see the image, you can still experience it. We'll talk with Tim Rue a principal informal education specialist, and Claire Blohm, a principal science writer and author of some of the descriptions, both from the Space Telescope Science Institute, about how images from the James Webb Telescope are being made accessible to everybody. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Claire Blohm. If there's One tip that I would give anybody who is interested in writing or improving alt text, it's simply to describe what you see, not what you know. So in other words, look with your eyes, not with your brain. Be quite literal uh, in describing the scene. And that is a real art to do that description correctly and in that uh, style that you mentioned. Because after all, sighted people who are seeing images like that aren't getting the extra information. They have to have their brain process what they're seeing. Exactly. It's, it's about removing bias, your, your existing understanding of the content you're looking at. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by APHConnectCenter.org, empowering people toward independence and success by providing blogs, information, and resources for individuals of all ages who are blind or visually impaired. Information and referral line are at 1-800-232-5463. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success. Let's start by meeting Tim and Claire and learning about their organization, the Space Telescope Science Institute. Well, we have two guests with us today to talk about something really exciting happening in the world. And Tim, why don't you start off by introducing yourself? Sure. Uh, My name is Tim Rue. I am a principal uh, informal education specialist at the Space Telescope Science Institute in Baltimore, Maryland. And Claire? Hi, I'm Claire Blom. I'm a principal science writer at the Space Telescope Science Institute, also in Baltimore, Maryland. Been here for about five years. So tell us a little bit about your organization. What does it do? Space Telescope Science Institute was originally founded back in the 80s in preparation for the Hubble Space Telescope. Its main purpose was to help NASA figure out how to allocate time on the telescope, how to run some of the science operations for it. Um, And we're both within the Office of Public Outreach, where we help share out the science from Hubble and now James Webb and uh, a few other NASA missions out with the public in general. 
I think it's also important to add that the Space Telescope Science Institute has always been a place where collaboration is extremely important. Um, for example, um, the contract was awarded to our parent company, Aura, because we are based on the Johns Hopkins University Homewood campus, which means postdocs can come over and work with astronomers on site. Um, and as well, astronomers, engineers can go over and work and teach at Hopkins right next door. Um, so reaching different audiences, allowing collaboration to happen is very important, which really is a nice tie-in to all the accessibility work we've been doing. It's just learning how to better reach more audiences and share the wonders of space. So it sounds like you are the interconnection between academics, government, and industry. That's correct. Are you actually an independent company or part of the government or what? We are a nonprofit. Uh, we were actually formed to be separate from the government uh, to run all of this and form the collaboration with it. Uh, it is uh, academics, astrophysicists, astronomers from around the country and around the world who actually make the decisions about what happens with time allocation and things like that. And we help do a lot of the organizing. And compile the data, reduce yeah, oh, the yes, data, yes. improve it, make it easier for other researchers to grab and go and start their research right away. There's a lot that we do. Claire's absolutely right. I'm, I'm keeping it rather brief here. <laughs> That's really cool. What a great service. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is how the exciting new images from the Webb telescope have been made accessible via alt text and other adaptations. Tell people a little bit about the James Webb telescope and why this is such a special telescope and such an exciting time for astronomers. The James Webb Space Telescope is an amazing mission. It is the newest flagship mission for NASA, looking at astronomy, looking at the stars, galaxies, the universe, and everything that is out there. Uh, space is a really amazing place, and the James Webb Space Telescope is going to open new windows to help us discover what's out there. Uh, it's going to work with Hubble and many other NASA missions to bring us new information about what's going on. It actually sees in the infrared a spectrum part of the electromagnetic spectrum that we cannot see with our own eyes. And because of that, we get to learn all sorts of new information about what's out there beyond uh, what we can tell from other telescopes that are currently in space or telescopes here on Earth. And this also looks a lot further out in space and further back in time because we're looking at light that came to us from a long time ago. Yeah, due to the nature of infrared light, uh, there's something that's known as uh, red shifting that happens, cosmological red shifting. So as light is uh, travels from those really, really far things away, those things that are created back near the beginning of the universe, as the universe expands and light travels along, the short wavelengths actually get longer and longer. So those things that used to be visible light are actually now in the infrared light. So we're able to see all sorts of details uh, that have changed. And the farther away something is, the more it's redshifted. So the wavelength gets longer and longer. And that's one of the ways you're able to determine how far away it is. Exactly. 
the Webb Telescope has been in the news this summer. Can you tell our listeners for what? Absolutely. So uh, on July 12th, the first full-color images and data uh, from the James Webb Space Telescope were released to the public. Um, So we got to see a field of galaxies. And as Tim was saying, some have, you know, light that's been traveling for billions of years before reaching the telescope. Um, A planetary nebula, which is a star that has evolved and cast off its layers of gas and dust. We've also seen a a beautiful Carina Nebula, another region of space um, where stars are forming and dying, along with a spectrum of an exoplanet, WASP-96b. So we are starting to see a more, the full range of capabilities that the Webb Telescope has. Uh, Science only just began on the 12th. That's the day that every single astronomer in the world could go download data and begin analyzing it and looking for their latest or next discovery. But you folks had that data a month or so ahead of time and spent that month working really hard to make the data accessible to lots of people. Can you tell us what you did? Absolutely. So I was on that team. It took about six weeks to get the data in from the telescope. Um, the astronomers were seeing the data for the first time. They you know, had anticipated what to expect. Um, and often it came through extremely cleanly. So they didn't have to create any new algorithms to clean the data, to pull out cosmic artifacts. Um, that might make it difficult to research what was going on in that image or spectrum. But they also had to iterate. They weren't quite happy with how it came out the first time or the second time. So, you know, dedicated astronomers went back and just made sure that everything was working as cleanly and perfectly as it could so that following these, the release of these images, the researchers who are gathering new data from the telescope will be able to use those same improved algorithms uh, to clean up the data or have it already in our archive, uh, the Mikulski Archives for Space Telescopes called MAST. The other thing that we did is there was a lot of discussion about what is this, right? We were seeing a lot of new things for the first time. Um, Every image that Webb has produced is basically a deep field. And by which I mean, there are galaxies peeking out everywhere in every single one of these images. Typically, um, when another telescope looks at planetary nebula, for example, they expect it to fill the whole screen And that's what you're focusing on. All the gas and dust that has been cast off by the star and the central star itself, you don't really expect to see other things peeking through. But there are so many distant galaxies whose light we have finally captured. So if you go back to explore those images, you'll actually find teeny tiny little galaxies in every single one. Um, And it's just really fun because one of our astronomers bet another as to whether or not this straight line was a diffraction spike from a star. The first one said it was, the second one said no way. And it took lots of iterations of the image until it was finally clear that yes, indeed, that was a galaxy. We were seeing it edge on. So from the side, so the bulge was at the center, but it just looked like a thin line otherwise. So Webb is already showing us so much more information than we've seen with previous space telescopes uh, in such high resolution. It's going to be very exciting. As all of our listeners know, I am blind, but from what I hear from sighted friends and the news reports, these images are quite spectacular. And 
we want to talk about essentially how you people have made these images more accessible to people who are visually impaired. But actually, you make them more accessible to people who are sighted also, because people don't see infrared. Absolutely. Uh, This is light that we cannot see. So how is this made visible to sighted people then? We use something called representative color. And we've actually done this with images with the Hubble Space Telescope, and now we're using that with the James Webb Space Telescope as well. So when we get the data back, what we're actually getting are black and white images. Uh, So as light comes into the telescope, it passes through a filter, which only lets a very, very specific wavelength or a very, very specific color of light through. And we can take a couple of these different pieces and stack them together. So if we assign one to red, one to green, one to blue, and stack them together, then our eyes are able to make that into a full color image when we look at that. We're getting very, very specific wavelengths, very specific colors of light from web. They just happen to be colors that we can't see. And we'll take the one that is the longest wavelength and assign that red take the one that's the shortest, assign that blue. There may be a couple others that go in there. I'm simplifying the process of our image developers a little bit. Um, But then our eyes are then able to pick out different details that we're getting from that science. So it's really kind of ironic in some sense, we're talking about how to make this accessible to people who are blind because they're not really accessible to people who are sighted until you've made some accommodations to begin with. Correct. We're translating this into light that people can see, and we are as well translating this into words that everybody can hear now. And that's the part we want to talk about, how you're making this accessible to people who are visually impaired. Tell us a little bit about that project and how that works. We actually worked with an outside group of folks who were uh, all have a disability of one sort or another. Many of them are visually impaired or blind. And we worked with them to try and figure out how we can do a better job uh, communicating what we have in images through text. Uh, We've been using alt text uh, for a long time, which is the text that uh, a screen reader will read when going through a web page and it comes to an image. So we've been using that for a while, but we wanted to figure out how to make that better. So we worked with this outside group. We got a lot of feedback. We wrote some stuff. things came back. And then once we got a general sense of what we did, um, our writing team, and Claire can talk a little bit more about this, did some exercises on their own to try and improve their skills. And then we started getting the actual data back from the telescope. And we went through uh, this whole process of translating it and working it into the same style that we had figured out. And we also had someone internal to the team uh, who's visually impaired who helped review a little bit of this. Uh, Claire, would you like to add more detail about that process since you were the one who was actually there writing this? Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. We started by going through every single image that was already posted to webtelescope.org. And essentially what we learned over time is Describe what you see, but also pretend as if you've never seen this before. So detach your your brain from your eyes and just be quite literal. It really helped for for me to receive the feedback from the consulting company um, to know that that there should be no science added. For example, a sighted viewer uh, might not know why those jets have erupted from the black hole. And it's not apparent in the image. Instead, that's caption information that needs to be accessible to everyone uh, on the page itself. So it was learning both what to do and also what not to do. Um, Another really important detail is literally that 
you can take as much text to describe what you're seeing well as possible. So don't limit yourself to that one sentence, for example, like we were doing previously. Instead, really paint a picture. The way I like to think about it is when you're, for example, listening to an audiobook, the author is painting visual pictures for you to imagine. You're imagining characters interacting with one another, their facial expressions and reactions to one another um, that are described in the text. Um, but that's all a mental construction. So the goal for me as I was writing these was to create the very same experience for people who either want the support or, or who are visually impaired in some way. We also received feedback from a woman who's colorblind. So hearing and knowing both from the consulting company and this woman that describing the colors, writing down the colors themselves is extremely important was just another aha moment for me. It's just something I had not considered. So being told absolutely every detail that would be obvious to somebody who does have an impairment uh, was really critical. That partnership uh, was so valuable because there was a lot I needed to learn. So then because we have every single image on this very, very long list, which, you know, is wonderful that there's so much content on the website. I just started writing longer descriptions about every single one. You know, how would I describe this to somebody who couldn't see, or perhaps I was talking to someone on the phone, how would I walk them through this image? Um, so it's really starting with, for me, the basics. I like to sketch, uh, quote, sketch an image what are the outlines? You know, what are the main shapes in the image? How much does that shape take up? You know, or are there tiny little dots scattered across the screen? And what are those dots? Are they stars or galaxies? It's important to say both what they are and also what their colors are. So going through all of these examples, and, and it was about a month and a half of really solid work that I did personally on this, and many other writers on our team did as well. So we're all learning together then reading one another's descriptions, just seeing how people approach it differently, but equally successfully was very important. There's no quote, one way uh, to do this. There are many wonderful ways to write very descriptive, very supportive alt text and longer descriptions. So I understand that each of these descriptions is many paragraphs long because there's so much information captured in each image. But would it be possible for you to read the first couple of sentences of one of these descriptions that you wrote? Absolutely. This is a description of the Southern Ring Nebula. It's shown in both near-infrared and mid-infrared light side by side. Do you want me to read the whole piece? It's only a, a paragraph. Oh, yeah, that would be great. Okay. Two views of the same object, the Southern Ring Nebula, are shown side by side. Both feature black backgrounds speckled with tiny bright stars and distant galaxies. Both show the planetary nebula as a misshapen oval that is slightly angled from top left to bottom right. At left, the near-infrared image shows a bright white star with eight long diffraction spikes at the center. A large transparent teal oval surrounds the central star. Several red shells surround the teal oval, extending almost to the edges of the image. The red layers, which are wavy overall, look like they have a very thin straight lines piercing through them. At right, the mid-infrared image shows two stars at the center, very close to one another. The one at left is red, the one at right is light blue. 
The blue star has tiny diffraction spikes around it. A large translucent red oval surrounds the central stars. From the red oval, shells extend in a mix of colors. That is very descriptive. How cool. I usually think of all text when I'm using my screen reader, it'll say picture of a star and that's it. That was one of the things that we got heard back uh, when working with outside folks. It, we had been writing pieces like that and we heard, no, we need more. We need to know what's actually going on in this image, particularly when we're trying to describe these amazing, complicated, detailed, awe-inspiring images that people really don't have context for, balancing both capturing that wonder, scientific accuracy, and just what is going on here is a real challenge and something that Claire and uh, the rest of the team that was working on this has done a fantastic job with. I would like to add as well that I very strongly feel that writing alt text and the longer descriptions in particular very much informed the caption text and the release text that I was writing. I realized, for example, that I might not be indicating precisely where the object was that I was pointing out. So for example, I might be pointing out misshapen oval galaxies, but if I don't tell you that they're in the top left, you have no idea where to look when you're looking at the image, even as a sighted viewer, you might not be sure to which object I'm referring. Uh, so it was very important to write these at the same time as the release text and the caption text so that one informed the other and improved the other. So I think that in truth, every single human who reads any of this text um, has benefited from the alt text work that we did. And just to be clear about this, because I've had this confusion with other people I've tried to describe this to, the alt text is something that is only seen by the screen readers. It's not on the screen when a sighted person looks there, but the caption is something that's displayed on the screen and both the screen reader user and the sighted person can see. That is correct, unless you've got some sort of extension for your browser that can pull up alt text and display it there, or you've done something to, to make it show up. I will note that we did more than just alt text for these, though. In addition to the alt text, we have extended descriptions. And these are some downloadable documents on the page. They're right there with all of the other downloadable versions of the image. And they have more detail in them than even the alt text does. They're, they're longer. They use heading structure so that it's easier to navigate through the documents. They have the ability to use lists. They have the ability to use tables. But we wanted to have something that went beyond what the technical limits were of our web page and something that would be accessible to anyone, regardless of whether you're sighted or not. Oh, how nice. Well, and for anybody who is sighted, which is not very much of our audience, these actual images also contain a lot more visual information than we've ever seen before. They are so high resolution. It's just amazing. Yeah, they have really been breathtaking. Web is truly delivering even more of space than we've previously had access to. So there will be many, many discoveries to come. And thanks to you and your team for making as much of that as possible accessible to our listeners and the rest of the visually impaired community. Absolutely. It's, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. And I'm so grateful that we're doing this work and that we'll just continue to open up access to even people to the wonders of space. Is there anything we missed? 
Another big piece that we haven't talked about are the spectra. So essentially the graphs that web will produce quite a few of as discoveries start rolling in. Um, another important detail that we've learned is that it's essential to provide downloadable CSV files so that uh, listeners can use their own software uh, to play those files to hear the actual data as it plays across the graph um, so they can hear the different uh, sound points. Oh, that's great. So you made graphical information very accessible also. Yes. You've thought of it all. Great. But we've tried to think of it all, but we are always open to changing, to adapting new styles, to adding new assets. Um, it's important that, that this work is not considered, quote, finished. It's ongoing. And if you prefer listening to sonifications of the Webb Telescope images, these are available as videos on the webtelescope.org website. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about the Webb Telescope and the images it's been collecting, and how to contact the folks who make those images public and accessible. Well, you guys told us about all the wonderful alt text and information you're adding to these pictures for people. If people want to avail themselves of some of that information, see these pictures and listen to the alt text, where would they go to do that? The primary place to get any of the pictures from the Webb Space Telescope is webtelescope.org. That's W-E-B-B telescope.org with two Bs. And there they'll find a collection of these pictures as they're being released to the public, and they can find the alt text and all the other information? Yes, you'll find uh, links to all of the first images. You'll find articles on the science behind them. You'll find infographics and videos and all sorts of other content that we've been creating to talk about these. And as new images come out, because there have been images that have been released since those first images already, um, those are going to be dropped there on webtelescope.org as well. That's great. And if people are interested in learning a little bit more about your organization, where would they find that information? They can check out stsci.edu. That's the Space Telescope Science Institute. There you'll find both links to webtelescope.org and hubblesite.org and all sorts of other information about the Institute, who works there, the work that we do, uh, and anything else you might have questions about. If somebody does have a question, is there a way they can reach your team? So for anybody who would like to contact us, uh, for example, you could visit webtelescope.org slash contacts. And on the bottom of that page, you'll find a form beneath send us a comment that allows you to provide your email and leave a comment or question uh, where we will also be able to respond to you. So that goes to our web team and they float it out to the person who might best be able to answer it. So there are a range of questions you could ask. Um, we also have many uh, different Places on social media where you can find us and where alt text is also available um, to describe the images. Our Instagram handle is space underscore telescopes. That's plural with an S. Um, we're also on Twitter and Facebook. And those handles are also available on our website, stsci.edu. And of course, you can find all that contact information and much more in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
That's it for show number 2239. Next week on Eyes on Success in celebration of National Disabilities Employment Month, we'll be talking with the folks at Insight Employment. Insight provides a full range of training resources, connections with potential employers, and internship opportunities for people who are visually impaired. We'll talk with Marianne Hegley, Program Director of Insight Learning and Leadership, about the organization and how their services might benefit you. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope to catch you all next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.